and welcome to the Joe Rest Podcast, episode four, recorded on the afternoon of the 7th of February 2015. You may be able to hear from the quality of the microphone that I'm in the proper studio today for a change, for the first time on this show, in fact. That's because my girlfriend's gone out, I've got the afternoon to myself. It's been two weeks since I last did one of these, which I did say I wasn't going to do them necessarily regularly, but I managed to do them every week for the first three, so I feel like I've missed a week, but hey, there's no set schedule for this, it's just whenever I feel like talking about something. So what have I been up to for the last couple of weeks? Well, recorded an episode of Mintcast about running Android on your PC, which was quite good fun. I did that with Scott, and he looked at running it, more running the applications, running Android apps on various virtualized platforms and emulators and stuff, whereas I just went for the Android x86 route, which is what I know and love. And I've actually still got that running on my little EPC, and I quite like having that for geek cred. And also it's quite useful to have sometimes, especially seeing as I can't plug headphones into my main Ubuntu installation, but that's a different story. What else have I been up to? I recorded a pretty varied episode of Linux Luddites. We didn't really have one main thrust for it. It was just a bit of everything, really. A discussion about social networks and stuff and looking at some software, some obscure software, and the news and feedback. So fairly varied. But the main big news is that I finished the Knievel Dead album. I went around to Odell's place He's the singer and kind of the main guy in the band and finished it. Although I got home and emailed me to say, oh, there's a couple of things we need to tweak. So I had to do that again. But yeah, that has been finished now. A line has been drawn under it. And he is doing an album launch in March, I think. So in, I don't know, a few weeks. And I'm going to open the show, I think. Just me and my acoustic guitar. I opened one of the Knievel Dead shows before, just a little 20-minute set, so I need to get practice in for that. And I realised, speaking of the last show being two weeks ago, I realised I could have easily split that into two. It was far too long. I think it was an hour and 20 minutes or something, and it was all about my podcasting. What I should have done in retrospect was do part one, which was how I got into podcasting, and the history of that, and then part two, the podcast that I listen to and have stopped listening to and all that. But hey, you got one big, long podcast to listen to. This one might be fairly long, I'm not sure. I've got a fair bit of feedback and stuff to get to, but we'll see about that. The other bit of news is this show is now on iTunes, hopefully. Fingers crossed, touch wood. I haven't really got any way of testing to see whether it works properly, but I've seen it in a browser and it looks like it's on there. And I cannot believe the hoops you have to jump through to get on iTunes. The thing is, if you've got an iTunes account already, then it's trivial. You just put in your URL, it seems, and away you go, because my friend did it for me in the end. But I spent about an hour the other day trying to get an Apple ID, which is essentially an iTunes account, I suppose. And there is literally no way to do it unless you give them your card details, credit card or debit card details. And it says you set up your payment method and you can just remove it straight away. You can set it to none. But they've still got my card details at that point, even if they say they've deleted them. And I'm, why do I want to give my card details out for something where I'm never, ever going to buy anything? So that just really annoyed me and just makes me hate Apple even more. 
but hey, I'll have some feedback later on. And so people are obviously wanting this show to be on there. So, hey, it is now, hopefully. Let me know if it didn't work. What else has been going on? Well, I got a Raspberry Pi 2. And I was a bit annoyed because I wanted it on Thursday. I ordered it to arrive on Thursday, and then it didn't arrive till yesterday. And I actually had a bit of time on Thursday to play with it, but I had no time yesterday. But I played with it a bit this morning. And... Yeah, I will be talking about that, no doubt, on Linux Luddites and probably Mintcast when I record that tomorrow. So I won't go too much into it, but it's definitely better than the first one. But they say it's a viable desktop machine, and it really isn't. Not at least with Raspbian. It's still slow and doesn't work very well. But no doubt you'll hear me talk about that on other shows. And I went to my first ever lug meeting last week, which was very interesting. Most interesting was the fact that it's the Greater London Lug. It was a Thursday night, so not, I suppose, the ideal night. But there were still only a handful of people there. And that makes me think, why is that? There there can't be that few Linux users in London. And so the question is, why were there so few people there? Well, the answer to that, I suppose, is that there's just no real need for it. Because you've got internet connections that are so fast these days and loads of good documentation, there was a time when people went to these Linux user group meetings to get CDs and back in the dial-up days, whereas they've sort of become less and less relevant. And now it's just an excuse to meet up with people who've got similar interests and talk to them. But it was pretty interesting, and I will go to another one if another one happens. I think it was a year between this one and the last one, so hopefully there'll be one soon. But something that came up at that meeting was diversity, and the fact that certainly at this event there were mostly white males. Um, There were a couple of Asian guys there. There was one woman. But in the history of the lug, there's been... Very, very few women, very, very few black people, and it's almost always just white males. And that came up at OGCAMP, that idea of diversity, and the fact that, again, there's the same story there. It's almost all white males in their 30s, pretty much, 20s and 30s. And I remember there being a discussion on the Ubuntu podcast about it, and the kind of axiom here is that it's a bad thing that it's all white men and we need to do something about this. And that's why you get things like the known people investing in uh, women's outreach programs. And there is a debate that just keeps going on and on about what are we going to do about this problem? And it's a similar problem with comedy as well. In certainly in the UK, we have panel shows here where it's almost always men and very few women, and the it's, it's mostly white men as well. And so the question is, what do we do about this problem? Well, I would beg to differ about what the question is. I would say the question is, is it really a problem? Now, that is all well and good for me to say as a white male. I mean, when it comes to the kind of lottery of life, I pretty much won it. I mean, it could have been better. I could have been the son of a Russian oligarch or something and just had loads of money and never had to work. But to be a white male in London, it's pretty sweet, basically. I'm not going to 
lie about that. So my view of this is clearly very skewed. But there seems to be an elephant in the room here when it comes to diversity. And that is, what if fewer women and fewer black people are interested in Linux and open source? What if that is just the case, that it happens to be that more white men are interested and that's why they are far better represented than other types of people? Because there are some women and there are some black people. And I've never seen myself any discrimination against them. Take Ogcamp, for example. There was a, a woman who described herself as a person of color or a woman of color, I'm not sure. And she went to Ogcamp and tweeted about the fact that she was the, the only person of color there and that there were very few women and very few women speaking. So clearly at Ogcamp, there was one person there and I felt that it was a very warm, lovey-dovey atmosphere where everyone goes out of their way to be as nice as possible to everyone and to include everyone, old, young, whatever. And I just find it a bit strange that people see it as a problem because to me, I don't see a problem. Surely we want to get as many possible people involved with Linux and open source and technology and whatever it is that you're talking about, that there's this diversity problem. And if you say we've got this huge problem and we need to solve it by doing women's outreach and, and specifically targeting women, then I think that in a strange way, you're kind of contributing to that problem because... Uh, it, it seems like an odd thing to say, but if you ignore the problem, then it will go away. And again, as a white male, you know, you can say, well, that's just ridiculous. But if you change the problem in your head to be that there are not enough people generally involved and reach out to as many people as possible, then as long as you make it inclusive and make it a warm and welcoming atmosphere for anybody who wants to take part, then there will be a natural ordering of who is involved with it, who wants to be involved. And if that happens to be mostly white males, then I don't see that as a problem. As long as women and black people and whoever is uh, welcome then why is it a problem? But I don't want to harp too much on about that. It's a hard thing to explain without sounding like a terrible sexist and racist, but I just think that people seem to have misunderstood the problem, and the problem isn't that there aren't enough women or black people. It's that we just need more people, and whoever is interested is interested. But anyway... One of the big news stories this week in the Linux and technology world, even getting on the BBC and stuff, was the launch of the first Ubuntu phone. And that's something we're going to be talking quite a lot about next week when we record Linux Luddites. Because Paddy, Jesse and I have been running Ubuntu Touch on our Nexus 7s, which are all identical for the past week or so, in anticipation of this release. 
And so we have some things to say about it. So I won't talk about that here, but what I will talk about is the launch event that happened yesterday. And that happened in central London. So geographically, I could have easily gone to it. And there was some sort of after party and drinks and things. And I wasn't invited to it. Now, why wasn't I invited? Well, because I'm a nobody and why would they invite me? And it would be ridiculous for me to think that I would be invited to it because I'm not some industry player. I'm not, I've got nothing, no power or whatever. Uh, it's not like the Linux voice guys who have got huge circulation and are deemed worthy of getting one of the first phones and getting their hands on it and talking about it. And similarly with the Raspberry Pi 2, they were given one and on launch day they had benchmarks and stuff and they'd clearly been playing with it for a while. But it got me thinking about how even if I was, supposing Linux Lights continues to grow and, and Mintcast and whatever, and my profile grows to the point where I could be invited to that kind of thing, I get the feeling that I wouldn't be invited anyway because of my negativity about everything. And it won't come as a shock to anyone listening to this, I don't suppose, that I'm going to be pretty negative about Ubuntu Touch and the whole phone thing, when we talk about it, it's hugely underspecced. The phone, it's a fairly good price, but who's going to be interested in it? They've got no developers developing apps for it, and they're trying to dress that up. That They've got this new way of doing things called scopes, and that's just all a smokescreen for the fact that there's no applications for the phone. And so even if I was high profile, they wouldn't invite me to that event, would they? Because... I'm just going to say negative things about it and no one wants that of their product. They want yes men to talk about how great it is and how it's this new way of doing things and how it's got such great potential and stuff like that. And the, the Raspberry Pi too as well. I've been playing with it. It's pretty good, but as I said, it's not a viable desktop machine. So again, I'd be very negative about that if they sent me one before it was released officially. And so I ask myself, is it a problem that I'm so negative about everything? Am I negative about things or am I just realistic about them? People always call me a pessimist and a negative person. But the old phrase, pessimist is never disappointed, comes to mind. And there are things that I like. There are things I'm very enthusiastic about. But there are an awful lot more things that I'm negative about. And when everybody is getting excited and saying really positive things about something and I have negative feelings towards it, what am I to do? Am I supposed to ignore that thing and if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all? Or do I offer my genuine commentary on it? And the answer is that I'm going to say negative things. And an email that we got to Linux Luddites in September 2014 kind of echoes in my mind, and I'm going to read at least a bit of it, probably all of it. And this was from someone called Mark Walton. And he had originally written to us after two or three episodes and said, hey, great show, guys. I like it. I'm not sure where he'd heard of us. But then we didn't hear from him for months and months and months. And then he sent this. Like everyone else, I've got my operating system and desktop combination just how I like it after a few years of experimentation. The experimentation showed me just how diverse the Linux ecosystem is and just how diverse the Linux community is. 
Basically, there is something for everyone, and I not only respect this, but openly embrace it as one of the key attributes that makes FOSS so different from closed-source commercial alternatives. This is probably why I find Joe's fortnightly dose of strong, usually negative, personal opinion becoming ever more disappointing. I don't find it interesting, enlightening, or remotely stimulating to listen to Joe's narrow views on what he likes and dislikes. Every OS, desktop, window manager, and application package has a use case and a target user base. No matter how small that subsection of the community may be, I'd rather celebrate their existence than listen to Joe slowly disenfranchise more and more of our friends and colleagues in the wider FOSS community. So whilst I very much appreciate the balanced, thoughtful and inclusive approach of Paddy and recently Jesse, which could do no more to attract the undecided to giving Linux a try and recognise the efforts of that self-motivated minority that develop our FOSS, I'm afraid I'll be giving the Linux Luddites podcast a miss from now on and listening to something else. Thanks for giving it a whirl, but narrow-minded, self-opinionated negativity is never going to be a winning formula for me, I'm afraid. Good luck, guys. And as I said at the time, we read that out, and I said that I can't really argue with anything he said. And for hate mail, that was pretty well-written and argued and eloquent and really made me think about stuff. And it made me think, should I try and be less negative or should I stay true to who I am? And it's a bit of a dilemma, really, because if I'm ever going to get paid to do this, talk into a microphone, then I'm going to have to sell out, aren't I, to some extent? Because I don't think that moaning about how rubbish everything is is going to attract enough listeners on whatever platform that might be, whether it is in podcast form, totally independent, or whether it's working for a broadcaster, a a small independent one, or even a huge one like the BBC, dare I dream. I can't see that my negative attitude is going to really wash there and make me, you know, seem professional enough to actually get paid for this. But on the other hand, I don't really want to sell out. Would I be happy to pretend to like things? Like on some other podcasts where they talk about a product and they clearly don't care about it, but they're trying to muster this enthusiasm because they're being paid to talk about it. Whereas if you are genuinely independent and not pandering to sponsors, then you can truly speak your mind about things. So I don't know, if you're listening to this, then the chances are that you have listened to Luddites and you've listened to Mintcast, or one or the other at least, and formed some opinion, and maybe you've thought about my negativity. Am I too negative about things, or do I just tell it like it is? I'd kind of like to know about that, really. But before I drone on too much, let me get into the feedback, because I had quite a lot for the last couple of shows in the last couple of weeks. And the first one was from Donald, and he said, you should spend less time talking about other projects and breaking the fourth wall, among other things. And I kind of replied to him that that's almost the point of this show. There is no point. It's just the point is for me to practice talking. And so what am I going to talk about? Well, what's going on? It's kind of a blog cast almost. So it's logical that I'm going to talk about the ins and outs of the various podcasts and things that I have been doing and will be doing. So 
I don't think that I will put that fourth wall back up anytime soon. The point of this is a kind of behind the scenes, what I'm up to podcast. So we'll see. Maybe I'll get more people involved and it will be less like this going forward, but you never know. Hopefully I will have the first other person on the show soon. I know I said I was going to get Jesse on, but I just can't find the time to go over there. I've been meaning to for a long, long time, but I have penciled in uh, an interview on Monday. Well, I say interview, a chat on Monday with someone, but I'm not going to say anything about it just in case that doesn't happen. But that hopefully will be quite interesting. We'll see. So Gareth from Mindset Central, uh, as usual, said nice things. So thanks a lot, Gareth. Uh, He also said I need to embrace my tinfoil hat, my inner tinfoil hat, and uh, become a proper conspiracy theorist like him. But I don't know about that. I'm kind of a bit of one, but, you know, balance and everything. Steve wrote to me and said, Hello, Joe. Just thought I'd drop you a line after hearing your recent podcasts. I first heard you on Linux Luddites, which is, by the way, my favorite Linux podcast. Well done, Steve. If not my favorite podcast of all time, I don't know about that. Come on, you obviously haven't listened to many shows, if you think that. The differing styles of personality are what gives it its charm, especially your rather cynical, blunt nature. Ah, So maybe Steve will appreciate my negativity and then he says oh but one tip by the way you may want to try and lessen your use of the word obviously i like it personally as i like your blunt style of speaking but it could perhaps sound a little patronizing to some listeners now steve i really wish you'd never said this to me well i wish that in some ways but in others it's good that you've pointed this out to me because up until now it is a word, obviously, that I have used far too much. And I listened to that last Mintcast or a bit of it. And sure enough, all the time I say, obviously. And so then I started thinking about it more and I found myself in real life situations saying it loads. And then I started to realize that everyone says it all the time. And it's become a kind of real, I don't know, mental block. And every time, I say it in conversation, I kind of kick myself and say, don't say that. And so I'm trying to force myself to essentially never say it. So I don't know. My girlfriend said she'd never noticed it before. Had anyone else noticed it? Let me know. And also listen out for other people on podcasts saying it. Maybe it's a UK thing. Maybe it's an English language thing. I'm not sure, but I'm telling you, if you're from the UK, at least, even in general conversation, listen to how often people use the word obviously. It is quite astonishing. And so I've really tried to stop myself saying it, but I'll probably just replace it with some other word. But anyway, Steve continued, I'm a little surprised you dipped your toe into current affairs with the French magazine attacks. Please tread carefully. Keyboard warriors are plenty on the internet. My brother being a case in point, half the time I have to completely ignore his emails or else I'll get into some big battle with him solely because he must be right and convince me that he's right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about there. And maybe me talking about that diversity thing earlier was a mistake. Maybe people get a bit up in arms in that. But hey, a bit of controversy is always good, isn't it? Now, Steve lives in South Korea. I'm not sure if he's from there. His English is absolutely excellent. And Steve doesn't sound like a very Korean name to me. But hey, you never know. And he told me a little bit about the situation there. And he said, as for Linux in Korea, 
Well, what a terrible state of affairs. I'm pretty sure I'm one of only a handful that actually runs Linux on a desktop. Android is, of course, the number one phone OS, but I don't count that personally, although that's a debate left for another time. I even do some work at a large game production company here in Korea, and even they don't really have any knowledge of Linux. Although, as it's games, that's not too surprising, I suppose. My brother-in-law is a chip designer and programmer at Samsung, and he does use Linux on occasion. And my god, the number of XP blue screen of deaths I still see in the most random places here. On the subway, public kiosks, billboards, I usually snap a picture of them for posterity. And I had a fascinating back and forth with him over email about the state of computing in Korea. And it's unbelievable. You'd think that South Korea being this technological bastion almost where they've got 4G internet in the subway and Samsung are a huge company there. And when I think of South Korea, I think of it as a seriously forward-thinking technological society. And yet, for years, and I think possibly still now, most government websites and banking websites need ActiveX and therefore Internet Explorer. And some of them even needed old versions of it and stuff, so you had to run XP. It, it just is astonishing that they are so behind the times. I mean, you'd think that they would have embraced at least Chrome, if not Firefox and Linux and stuff. But to be using Windows and Internet Explorer for everything, very strange. But anyway, Lee said, Joe, I was trying to drop you a quick note on, as I perceived it, the success of number three. But it's a lot of typing to get a simple point across. I've been two drafts already. So to recap, basically, the sound is as good as I would ever want. Some podcasts are clearly recorded using special wet sock mics in a canyon. Not yours. The H4N sounds great to me. Well, I'm recording on my proper mic this time, so it should sound even better. He says, video on podcasts, you must be joking. Audio only is what makes them so appealing. Others' mileage may vary, I guess. Other podcasts are subscribed to 24, and then he told me some of the ones that he's into. But yeah, video podcasts, I don't really count them as podcasts. It's video shows, really. I did talk about one half in the bag, and I know Jupiter Broadcasting have a lot of video shows. But surely one of the advantages of listening to podcasts is that you can do it wherever, and you don't have to stare at a screen while you're doing it. You can do the washing up, or you can ride your bike, or drive your car, or sit on the tube. So it's a bit strange that some podcasts go to video. And so that's why I think that although video is huge with YouTube and everything. I don't think audio only is ever going to go away. Anyway, he finishes up with, I have about 150 back issues to catch up with. For this reason, I'd be happy if you didn't feel compelled to make an hour-long program each week. Well, we'll see how long this one is. It's already getting on. And he said, I'm not bothered about cheap Android especially. Any phones and or OSs work for me as a topic. Regardless, yeah, well, uh, soon I'll get around to talking to Jesse about phones and stuff. And there's someone else I'd like to talk to who has got a very diverse phone collection and history. And I think that would be interesting to talk to him. David said some nice things. And then I wanted to ask you what job you do, as I did hear you say once that you hated your job at one point. I too used to hate my job, insurance claims, so much so that I decided to have a complete change. I'm now a motorcycle instructor. Best thing I ever did. 
Well, as I replied to David, I don't really want to tell people what my job is. I don't think it's hugely relevant. And I like to keep a firewall between my internet life and my real life. But I don't think I hate my job. I just don't like doing it. And I would prefer to do something else. The thing is, I am my own boss. I can mostly pick and choose my hours, although sometimes I don't have much choice in that and things need to be done. But supposing I want to go out to that lug meeting and get drunk on a Thursday night, I didn't start till about half past 10 on the Friday and then worked a little bit late to make up for it. Whereas if I was stuck in an office job, I don't think I'd get away with that sort of thing. And sometimes if I want to have a day off, I have a day off. And if there's not a huge amount to do, then I go home early or whatever. So I really don't have much to complain about when I hear about some other nightmare jobs. And the thing is that my job's reasonably well paid. It's not hugely well paid, but it's good enough. So I just think that I get bored easily. And the thing is that I've now got to a point with this job that I do where there's not really any progression or not a huge amount of progression in terms of making more money i could work harder and make more money but for the hours that i do i'm not going to get any more money i don't suppose and i haven't got much to learn there's always things that you can learn but i'm just bored is the bottom line and i would like to do this instead because this would be more exciting i suppose but i'd probably get bored of that as well if i had to do this every day Stephen Rosenberg asked about getting the show on iTunes, so hopefully that should be there now. And Will left a comment about various podcasts and said, One Jupiter Broadcasting show that I was surprised he didn't mention is Linux Unplugged. It is more of a free-form Linux discussion in a mumble room, moderated by the same hosts as the Linux Action Show, but at least recently Alan Pope and Martin Winpress are usually on, both of whom I know you find compelling. And that's a good point. I didn't mention Linux Unplugged. It's not something that I regularly listen to, and I don't really know why. I think maybe I should listen to it. I can't really think of any reason why I don't listen to it, to be honest, apart from it's probably got adverts on it. I can't even remember if it's got loads of adverts on it, but that might have been what put me off it. But I suppose I ought to give that another go. Anyway, Will continues, one topic I'd be interested to hear, possibly on Luddites or when you have a guest, it'd be good to have more than one person's take, is how you listen to podcasts. And he talks about how he uses an iPod and uh, there's various advantages to using iTunes with playlists and stuff. And he wondered about iPod alternatives and whether he could get some sort of Android phone to do the job. And I would suggest beyond pod which is a paid application there is a free trial of it and i didn't bother paying for the full version but i think that has most of the features that you're talking about there will with playlists and stuff like that i don't know if it's as good as itunes but i can only assume so i've never used itunes but people rave about beyond pod there's antenna pod but that's very limited it's free software open source and all that but it's quite limited that's what i generally use in fact i used to use that until i got the nexus 5 which has got this audio issue where if i use any other player other than google play music the built-in default music player and i have the screen off it pauses randomly and so that is just incredibly annoying so what i actually have to do is manually download all of my 
podcasts that I listen to at the moment. That's why I wouldn't mind having another phone. It's a proper first world problem, but it's still annoying. I use AntennaPod to keep track of what new shows are out and stuff, just as an RSS reader, really. But Will continued, what's the benefit of podcast chapters for skipping sections? As you suggest, I just pause the show when I need to stop listening. I guess one benefit is that you'd probably attract a greater number of lukewarm listeners. I can think of some shows, e.g. some of the twit ones like Security Now, where I'm interested in the topic and respect the hosts, but just don't have the listening time for them. And because they are two hours, I usually don't bother listening at all, rather than listening for 20 to 30 minutes and cutting it off myself. If the show were naturally 30 minutes, I'd probably listen to them from time to time when the topic appealed to me. That is something that I have thought about and why I try and keep Luddites on topic and why we agreed that would be the way we were doing it from the beginning, that we didn't want to have waffle about irrelevant stuff. That's something that we do do on Mintcast, and that's because that show was already established before I came along, so I just roll with it. But I think that shows should stay on topic. I know this particular show that you're listening to now doesn't have a topic, so that's my excuse for just wandering all over the place. But if you are a Linux show or you are a photography show or whatever, then you should talk about that and not too much about the other stuff. You don't want to make it too stiff and never talk about anything else ever. But I've heard shows where they talk for 10, 15 minutes or more about stuff that isn't on topic and it just gets a bit boring. And it's okay if it's something you're interested in, but if it's like ice hockey or something, then, you know, why do I want to listen to that? But Rich said, agreed about Linux Unplugged. It's better than Linux Action Show, which I can only listen to now that Troll Lunduk is not on it. The Mumble Room keeps the show honest. The adverts are pretty frequent and long on Jupiter Broadcasting, but I prefer the shows to the fakeness of Twit. Yeah, again, as I said, I'm not sure how many adverts they have on Linux Unplugged, so I'm going to have to listen to that again, I think. Because I know that Martin Wimpress listens to this and... Hopey, as you'll find out in a second, also listens to this, so maybe I should return the favour. But later on, Rich said, Ubuntu UK is probably over forever now that Tony has left. The episodes where the rest of the crew have done audio have been awful. Just goes to show how much us listeners take for granted all the work that goes into one of these episodes. Well, funnily enough, Popey emailed me and said, just thought I'd drop you a line and say how I enjoyed listening to your first three episodes on the Eurostar back from Fosdem. It helped pass the journey and I learned about a bunch of podcasts I've never heard of. I appreciate the Ubuntu podcast feedback and yes, the audio quality suffered badly towards the end of the year. We're completely reworking that so we shouldn't have those issues in future when we return. Incidentally, I started UUPC, not Tony. Keep up the good work, Al. So there you have it. Officially, you heard it here first, probably, that the Ubuntu podcast is returning. And I actually spoke to Popey on Mumble a couple of weeks ago about how he's going to do it, the technical side of it. So stay tuned. I would like to know if it is possible to do a show with only one machine, because if I have got a guest on, like hopefully on Monday when I do it, I do that with two machines, speaking through one and recording on the other. And I have the luxury of two interfaces and various microphones and stuff, so it's not an issue for me. But if you're trying to do it as simply as possible, then it's quite difficult. 
but we'll see. I very much look forward to Ubuntu UK coming back. And you never know. I might try and muscle in on that like I have with every other show. But uh, I don't think they'll have me on somehow with all my canonical hate. Be funny though, wouldn't it? And the last one from Bill Amai. He said, about the infinite monkey cage, I'll be trying that out soon, thanks to you. And I already like Professor Brian Cox. Here's another great science communicator, Neil deGrasse Tyson, that uses the same formula. And he linked to starttalkradio.net. They rotate several male and female semi-regular funny people with Dr. Tyson. Interesting how comedians act as straight men for the science. A running joke from Neil, if we find life on Jupiter's moon Europa, what would we call them, Europeans? <laughs> Bit of a lame joke, I'm afraid, but it sounds like the American version of the Infinite Monkey Cage to me. I haven't listened to it yet, but Neil deGrasse Tyson's kind of the Professor Brian Cox of America. So interesting that there's that same niche, that same cultural niche for the same type of show. So what have I got coming up then? Well, recording actually with Bill M.I. tomorrow, Mintcast 218. And then next week, hopefully doing this interview Monday, playing a lot more with the Raspberry Pi, hopefully. And also Linux Luddites talking about the Ubuntu stuff and also the Raspberry Pi. But I suppose that's it for now then. I should have said you can contact me, joerestpodcast at gmail.com. That's probably the best way. Or you can leave a comment on the website. But I've got loads of bots spamming it and uh, it's really annoying. I'm going to have to install Capture. It's pretty terrible, isn't it, that you have to resort to that. Why do people do that? Why do they think that spamming their stuff is going to work? Whoever reads a spam post and thinks, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and click that link and buy that thing. It just seems like a complete waste of time to me, but it obviously must work, otherwise they wouldn't do it. But anyway, who knows when I'll be back. Might be sooner rather than later. That's the beauty of this show. You never know. So until then, see you later.